So that's what I meant by going all the way. Some of you need to get your minds out of the gutter. Now, as you recognize, some of you, uh, that's uh, some vignettes that opens the movie uh, When Harry Met Sally. And it's talking about kind of taking relationships. Uh, 
uh, instead of just uh, one step at a time going all the way with those relationships. Now, these people knew how to go all the way, except for that first guy that had been married like four times. Uh, but in their relationships, they, you could see, you could feel that they really mattered to each other. That one woman that kept walking over her husband's lines, that was hilarious. Um, but let me ask you, uh, if you've been married for uh, 20 years or more, to the same person. Um, would you uh, would you please stand? Would you please stand? We want to see who you are. OK. And we just want to say congratulations. You guys are doing good. Yeah. You're doing good. Now, I want to do something else. Uh, you can sit down now. You're not going to get any candy bars. Uh, <clears throat> so um, uh, they, they do this on cruises sometimes. Uh, if you've been married for 50 years or more, would you stand? 50 years or more. Okay, stay up there. Stay up there. Oh, stay up. Stay up. Jim, stay up. Okay. Now, as I go in numbers, you, you sit down as we get past your number. Okay. 50. Congratulations to all of you. How about 52? 53. Oh, Doug, you're supposed to know this. 54. Okay. 55. 56. 57. 58. 59, 59, okay, and mom and dad, how many? 65 years, yeah. That's pretty awesome. Now, if you want to know about kind of going all the way in your relationships, talk to these people. They've done it, and it's not been easy. I I know these two over here. It's not been easy, right? But... uh, it's awesome when you decide, you know what, no matter what, we're going to make this thing work. We're going to go all the way in our relationships. Now, let's review. Uh, to be really filled and fulfilled in life, you have to find the one. The one is Jesus Christ. He's the only one that can fill that emptiness in our soul. That emptiness in our soul is not shaped like a man or a woman. It's shaped like God. And the only one that can make your life beautiful, whether you're married or not, whether you're in a relationship or not, is Jesus Christ who fulfills every and satisfies every need in your life. That was week number one, last week. Then once you found number one, which is Jesus, you look for the number two. Uh, and if you want a two that is different from the standards of the world, which means you kind of stay with each other until it's not convenient anymore. If you want to do that, you have to find, if you want a different destination, you have to find a different pathway. If you want to get to a different ending, you have to take a different road. And uh, last week we talked about what it looked like to take a different pathway to finding the two. Finding that person in your life that you want to spend the rest of your life with. And the reason we did that is because the, the, the pathway that the world takes is not working. Uh, well over 50% of marriages uh, end in marriage. 80% of marriages, second marriages, end in divorce. And so all of these things tell us that the way that the world does it, it doesn't work. Okay? It's not working. And so last week we looked at how we can have higher standards, you know, God's standards, not our standards, higher standards in discovering the who and the how we find our, our two. So today we're going to look at practical steps to going all the way, to making it to the finish line in our relationships. And so uh, three things I want to share with you. Uh, Here's the first practical step. Recognize that love is not a feeling. Now, love involves feelings. Love produces feelings. But it's much more than a quiver in your liver or an ocean of emotion. 
If love's a feeling, we would all be in and out of love every day. Real love, and this is biblical love, agape love, is never a slave to emotions or feelings. Real love, now here's the definition, is a decision. It's a commitment. It's an act of one's will. It's a choice to do something for another person that is best for them, even if it's not best for us. Now, a group of professionals asked uh, some children to define love. You saw your kids earlier today. But here's some of the definitions of uh, what kids thought love was. And so one, uh, uh, one little girl said this. Love is when a girl puts on perfume and a boy puts on shaving cologne and they go out and smell each other. Okay, so that's that's what uh, Carl, age five, thought about love. Another one said love is when you go out to eat and give somebody most of your French fries without making them give you any of theirs. That's pretty that's pretty much love. I would say Chrissy, age six. Love is when mommy and dad mommy sees daddy smelly and sweaty and still says he looks handsomer than Robert Redford. Chris, age eight. Okay, some of you are going, you young people are going, who's Robert Redford? Um, Now, here's another one. When you love somebody, your eyelashes go up and down and little stars come out of you. Karen, age seven, has been watching too much television. Here's another one. When my grandmother got arthritis, she couldn't bend over and paint her toenails anymore. So my grandfather does it for her all the time, even when his hands got arthritis, too. That's love, Rebecca said. I think that's really true. Those kids, I think, are a lot smarter than some adults when it comes to understanding love. Love is not a feeling. Now, it's good when you have that feeling. It's good when you have those warm emotions, those fuzzies. That's good. There's nothing wrong with that. But that's not what sustains a relationship. Love is more than a feeling. It is a commitment. It is a decision. What I've learned about love that the world kind of talks about, it's more like uh, puppy love, uh, more like um, I want to be with you kind of love, the kind of love that is as fickle as the stock market, the kind of love that won't hold a marriage together. I mean, I get so tired of hearing people talk about as if love is something that's uncontrollable. Well, I fell into love and I fell out of love. No, love is a commitment. It's a decision. When you stand up before God and witnesses and make your vows before the Lord, you are saying, I promise that I will do this for the rest of my life. We've made it too easy in our society, in our world, to allow people to say, I'm just going to walk away from that commitment that I made. If love is a feeling, how could Jesus command us to do what he did in Matthew chapter 5? Listen to this. Jesus said, you have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemies. But I say to you, love your enemies. If you do this, you will be the true children of your father in heaven. I mean, that verse more than any other describes how that love can't possibly be a feeling. Love is not kind of this warm, fuzzy emotion that you feel. But if it's a decision, a choice to do what's best for another person, I can carry out this command. Jesus isn't calling me to feel good about my enemies or even to like them. He is calling me to love them. And we have to understand that principle in every relationship we have. Love is a decision. It is a commitment. Now, many times I know spouses feel like the enemy. But when, when you think about it, don't, don't make sure you separate the idea of this like from this agape love. We don't always like each other. 
I mean, we don't like each other's behavior. That's okay. That's normal. That's called marriage. That's, that's okay. But love is something that you don't fall in and out of. It's something that you do. It's something you commit to. I will not let my marriage and my commitment to God flag because of my feelings. Won't do it. So we need to choose to love our mates, choose to love those who are in a relationship in spite of our feelings. Now, we've talked about this before. Uh, many of you have heard this before, that we have to understand the difference between motion and emotion. Motion is acting out. It's doing something. Emotion is the feelings. We have to recognize throughout Scripture, everything is about acting first and then the feelings come later. Too many people in our society do it the opposite. As long as I feel good about you, I will act loving towards you. We need to act loving towards each other even when we don't feel it. Why? Because love is a commitment. It's a decision. So in another church that I served, uh, there was this man and woman who were going through a very ugly divorce. And uh, they had um, heeded my counsel in terms of going to marriage counseling, not pulling the trigger too quickly, all of those things. But they were bound to determine that they hated each other and they were going to get divorced and it was going to happen and nothing could stop it. And this was going to happen, but it was going to happen after their their youngest child graduated from high school. So they had to wait three months and kind of fake three more months. And so the husband was saying to me, Dwayne, I don't know what to do. I, I, I just don't know what to do. I said, well, why don't you try something different, different pathway, right? Different way. I said, when your wife says something unkind to you, say something back to her that's kind. Now, I know that'll be hard. It'll be very difficult. You'll have to hold your temper and all of that. When your wife says something critical of you, you say something complimentary about her. When your wife says that she doesn't want to be with you forever, just tell her something about herself that's really beautiful and something good. And just do that for these last three months. I said, I don't know if it'll work, but try it. You know, give it a shot. Well, you know what happened at the end of those three months. They had a renewal of their wedding vows because one person in the relationship decided to behave like he loved his wife, even if he didn't have the feelings. He behaved like he loved his wife. So that's the first thing I want to share with you today. Recognize that love is not a feeling. Step number two, don't let romance die. The number one question that couples ask marriage counselors is this. Why don't we love each other anymore? Now, the simple answer is because you're choosing not to love each other anymore. You're not committing yourselves to loving each other. But there's a lot of reasons that, that counselors answer to this question. The quick answer is um, romance changes. The intense, supercharged, nonstop need to be together, holding hands and kissing every 30 seconds changes over the years. And that's normal. Okay, it's normal. That's why you don't see many four-year-old couples in the back of movie theaters making out. I mean, it just doesn't happen. I remember when Sherry and I, and happy Mother's Day, by the way. Uh, uh, I remember when Sherry and I were first going together, um, Sherry was very, she came from a family, Art and Joanne Wilson, that hugged and kissed, and they did a lot of that. My family didn't do as much of that, so she was very much into hugging and kissing and all that. Now, in private, I love that stuff, okay, especially in my 59 Chevy. It was awesome, okay, I love that. But Sherry wanted to do it in church. So we'd be sitting in church, and I'm trying to listen to my pastor, and I see Sherry looking at me out of the corner of my eye. And I know if I look at her, I'm going to be required to kiss her. And I know, and, 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 but that's in front of God. And, and these, these people in our church, these, 
people that were like this in our church that were mean and shriveled up and Beatrice Merrifield, E. Warden Conway, these people that were looking for somebody to make a mistake. And if I learned, so if I turned over there, I had to, and they would be after me. And I just didn't know, but I love that stuff in private, but in church, in front of God and everybody, we need to recognize that God loves us to love each other. He loves us. Listen to what he says in uh, one of those PG-13 ver- uh, Bible verses in Proverbs chapter 5. Enjoy the wife you married as a young, as a young man. Uh, gals, you adjust this to, for your situation. Lovely as an angel, beautiful as a rose. Don't ever quit taking delight in her body. Never take her love for granted. Now, that's one of those amazing verses that says, don't let the romance flag. Don't let the romance die. Don't let the fizzle Uh, Don't let the sizzle in your marriage fizzle. You've got to make sure that you put your spouse, your number two, in the place that she deserves or he deserves. The romance does not have to die. Now, now, for the romantic flame to burn, we have to throw some wood on the fire. So I put together a few things to offer as as, uh, some help from Scripture. And and all of these uh, ideas start with the letter A. So you'll be able to remind yourself that you need to get an A... In relationships, you need to get an A in passion. So here are the four things that you need to keep the romance, the fun alive in your relationship. Number one, you need awareness. Remember when you first met your spouse or that significant other? The two of you locked eyes across the room. You noticed each other. You paid attention to each other's needs. You tuned into each other. You just kept track of what was going on. You became other focused. Uh, when that person, uh, your spouse or your girlfriend or your boyfriend, uh, when they said something, you looked behind their words to see what their feelings were. You really cared about them. One of the things that Sherry and I have tried to do at our best, at our worst we don't, but at our best, we try to be students of each other. I want to know what she needs and wants and desires, what makes her happy, what fulfills her. I want to do that because even though I know Jesus is the only one that can satisfy her fully, I want to be that man in her life that in the very best way I can to provide her this wonderful garden to grow in as a spiritual woman of God. I want to be a student of her. John Ortberg says it this way in one of his books, uh, Love Beyond Reason. The work of love is the work of paying attention. Love notices. Love listens. Love remembers. Husbands, wives, would you please start noticing each other again? Would you pay attention to your mate? Doing that says, honey, you are the most important thing in my world. This is just one way to keep the sizzle alive in your marriage. Here's another way. You need not only uh, to pay attention, you need affirmation. Putting words into your relationship that matter. It's like putting currency in a marriage box. It's like filling up that marriage box. Because the Bible is very clear. The Bible says that words have the power to build up or to destroy. And we all know that in our marriages. All of us. We've all failed in this at some level at some time. We have failed and we have, we have put the words of death instead of the words of life into our relationship. The writer of Proverbs says that, you, that these words have the power to give life, to bring life, to bring somebody up, or to put somebody down. First Thessalonians 5.11 says, so encourage each other and build each other up. Please concentrate on speaking words of life into your spouse, words of encouragement, words of affirmation, words of blessing. You not only need affirmation, you also need affection, warm, tender, 
Guys, non-sexual touch, essential for emotional and physical health. Research research has told us, and some of you have heard this before, that every human being needs a minimum of eight to ten touches a day from another human being. Okay, And for those of us who are married, those usually come through our spouse. Eight to ten meaningful touches, non-sexual touches a day. It could be a 10-second hug, a 60-minute back, 60-minute, 60 60-second 60 back rub, holding hands, arm around each other, a kiss, whatever. So here's your homework. If you're married or if you're in a relationship, here's your homework. Every day, I want you to give your spouse 8 to 10 touches a day, non-sexual touches. We need that physical well being. Sherry and I know when we're in a good rhythm in our relationship, there's a lot of touching. There's a lot of, and I have to remind myself all the time, okay, non-sexual touching. And there's always this, this constant holding hands and putting, and giving. Every morning when I leave uh, for church, I, I, I put Sherry in my arms and I pray over her. I hold her and I pray, just a short prayer, I pray over her. And she needs to know that my love and my security and my covering and my blessing is with her. And we need those, that kind of affection. The last thing we need, and guys, you need to hear this, especially if you've been married a long time like me, put, you need adventure. You need adventure. Ecclesiastes, this is a great verse. Put on nice clothes and make yourself look good. Some of you, that'll be a challenge, but try it anyway. Put on nice clothes and make yourself look good. Enjoy life with the one you love. Sherry tells me sometimes, I just want to dress up and go out somewhere instead of going to our normal, you know, a movie and dinner or something like that. So we need to constantly be creative. Surprises. Schedule dates regularly. When I meet with couples for premarital counseling, it's always interesting to know how they spend time together. And they're so intense and they're so intentional and it's wonderful. And I really emphasize to the importance of constantly having a date night. We've been married for 40, almost 43 years. And we haven't always done it, but it's always been on our radar. You know, we've gotten away from the last couple of Friday nights. We've got to get back to our date night. Have date night surprises because those surprises said, I'm thinking of you. I'm thinking of your needs. I'm thinking of your wants. I'm thinking of your desires. I'm thinking of you. You matter to me. That's what it means. Remember, and some of you are saying, well, but I don't feel like it. Well, tough. Get over it. Get over it. Motion leads to emotion. Well, I don't feel very attached to my spouse anymore. Too bad. Love is a commitment. It's a decision. It's not something you feel or you don't feel. We just got to be grown ups about this and start doing the right thing. So that's the second practical step. Don't let romance die. Awareness, affirmation, affection, adventure. Step number three. Recognize and accept your differences. Some of you are going, yeah, like I didn't know that. Recognize and accept your differences. Are men and women different? Big time. I mean, Mars and Venus, blue and pink, you know. It's like we're from different planets. We're wired differently. We speak different languages. Research is showing that not only are our brains different, but we use them differently. So so let me give you three Biblical realities about our differences. The first one is this. Men and women were created equal, but different. Genesis 1.27. So God created people in his own image. God patterned them after himself. Male and female, he created them. They both were created in God's image with certain qualities and characteristics that they share in common with God. We're all equal 
on that basis. There's no such thing as men up here, women up here. We're all equal in that regard. They were even given an equal task. Genesis 1.28. God blessed them and told them, them, right, not him or her, God blessed them and told them, multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. Be masters over the fish and birds and all the animals. In our house, I'm the one that's master over the fish. Sherry's master over everything else. Okay, but we, we, we are in this together. This is what we do together, okay? We are equal, but we are different, and we need to affirm each other. So it's clear that we're equal, but it's also clear that we're made differently. I mean, intentionally, God made us differently. The Bible says male and female He created them. It was an intentional choice. I mean, God, let's be honest. God didn't make Adam and Steve. He made Adam and Eve. Right. And uh, but so we're equal, but different. So the second thing I want to say is this. The differences between men and women are for their good. Some of you really don't believe that. But that is true from God's word. Genesis 2.18 says, And the Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a companion who will help him. Adam's aloneness was not a good thing. So what does God do? He makes Adam fall into a deep sleep. And when he wakes up, there's a woman, Eve. What are Adam's first words in Genesis 2.23? His first words are, are at last. I think in the original language, it was something like hubba hubba. You know, so, you know, whoa, you know, dip, you know, whoa, man. Yeah, woman. Yeah. And it says, it was, so Adam does go wild. And that, why? Because he is now complete. Uh, not because God gave him someone just like him. God gave him a woman, a companion, an exact compliment, one who fills the empty spaces, someone with a different temperament, personality, perspective and body. The differences are meant for good. The third thing that we find in Scripture is this. God's call to men and women is to become one. We talked about that last week. The most important part of sexuality in a marriage is understanding that God intended it to be a two becomes one proposition. Body, soul, and spirit. Body, soul. That's what sexuality is all about. Body, soul, and spirit. Two becoming one in the fence within the safety and confines of a marriage relationship. God has called us to become one. If you're wondering which one, you're asking the wrong question, right? We are to keep our own identities completely, but we are to be one body, soul, and spirit. For this oneness to happen, there has to be a daily dying to selfishness and stubbornness. A daily dying to selfishness and stubbornness. For that to happen, we have to constantly go back to those three biblical truths. We are different by design. God knew exactly what he was doing. I mean, imagine he takes two radically different people and says, become one. Don't ever think that marriage or oneness is easy. It's not. But in the process of becoming one, we become more like Christ. We learn to be patient, considerate, flexible. And that's what God has called us to celebrate your differences. Don't chafe under your differences Celebrate your differences. There's one last practical step to going all the way, and it's this. Don't bail. Don't bail out on marriage too soon. Don't bail out on marriage too soon. So if it's if the statistics are true, roughly half of the people sitting in church today uh, have been divorced. Okay, we're not going to ask you to raise your hands, but of it. I mean, uh, many of my closest friends in church have experienced divorce and God has they've experienced God's blessing um, and grace a second time around. But before we get into this 
this very specific word. Uh, let me say this. And you know, if, you, if you're new here, you don't know this, but I'm going to tell you right now. We, we don't beat up on people here at Hope. We don't condemn people. My experience has been people that have experienced divorce or other broken areas of their lives, they beat themselves up enough or other people have beat them up. We're not going to do that. We don't have you come in here, lock the doors and say, OK, now here, you know, and, you know, and just pound away at you. We, we don't believe in that. We don't ever want to beat anyone up. We only want to lift you up. My guess is if you're divorced, you've been beat up enough by yourself or by someone else. But so, so you need to understand, and we'll get to this in just a moment, that God's grace and his love and his forgiveness is so wide and so big. And it covers every life and every sin. So please hear this word, but hear it with a heart that Jesus Christ loves you and he will always love you. Now, the first thing I want to say about not bailing out on marriage too soon is this. Divorce is not the easy answer to your marital problems. So for this next few minutes, I want to talk to those people in our church that are married. And certainly everybody that's not married needs to hear this word too. But if you're married, especially if you are contemplating divorce. And my experience has been over time that almost always there's someone contemplating divorce in church on a given Sunday. Divorce is almost glamorized by our society. Trade in for a new car. No fault insurance. No waiting. You can have a new car today. You can take the keys home today with no down payment. You can do it online for a few hundred bucks. How disrespectful to the one who created marriage. It's made out to be so painless. But the reality is, and this is a reality across the board, the reality is depression Loneliness, poor self-esteem, and bitterness. The cost to children is enormous. Kids from divorced homes are seven times more likely to go through depression than those who are not. Now, I know some of you are saying, yeah, but, you know, a, a marriage where there's bickering and disagreements and everything, that, that's worse than divorce. No, it's not. And I'm not saying that. For, that's all the research says that. No, even a poor marriage is better for kids than a marriage uh, that is divorced. So, so let's don't use that as an excuse. Now, I know there are exceptions, of course, in cases of abuse or substance addiction but, or other severe pathologies, but the research is clear. Parents need to find a way to stay together. Otherwise, they do damage to their children. Well, what does God say about divorce? Here's a shot of reality. Malachi 2.16. For I hate divorce, says the Lord, the God of Israel. It doesn't say he dislikes it or he's displeased with it. He says, I hate it. Well, why does God hate divorce? And by the way, when God says, I hate divorce, he doesn't say, I hate divorced people. Or I hate divorced people that are going through a divorce. He said, I hate divorce. Why does he say that? It's very simple. Because of the harm and the pain that it causes to wives and husbands and children. It destroys them. It rips them apart. It scars people sometimes for life. So here's a word for some of you in here today that may be contemplating divorce. And the word is this. Honor the commitment you made on your wedding day. You made a promise for better, for worse before God. Quit looking for a way out of your marriage and start looking for a way to work through your problems. Incompatibility is a myth and unhappiness is not a valid uh, grounds for divorce. Couples bail out too quickly on their marriage. Don't do that. Don't make the mistake. Chuck Swindoll writes, two process, processes ought never be entered into prematurely. 
embalming and divorce. I agree wholeheartedly. Now, a word to those who have experienced the pain and literally the agony of divorce. Please hear this as a word of grace. Divorce is not the unforgivable sin. Could you please believe that? Could you please understand that? Could you please receive that into your soul? Divorce is not the unforgivable sin. Ask for and receive the forgiveness of Christ. Allow God to cleanse you so that you have no bitterness. Seek others' help. We have uh, different ministries in our church. We have a divorce recovery group. We have hope groups. We have mending the soul. We have pastoral counseling. We have ways of helping people through these difficult waters. The Bible says this about you. You are a new creation in Christ Jesus. You are a new creation in Christ Jesus. The old is dead. The new has come. Can you believe 2 Corinthians 5.17 and receive that into your spirit? Can you know that? Never underestimate the power of Jesus Christ and his shed blood on the cross to redeem your life and to forgive your sin. It is not the unforgivable sin. You know, when you think about it, um, you can list all the sins and they're in God's sight. They're all the same. And, uh, you know, there's gossip and there's uh, malicious words and there's all kinds of different things. But here's the bottom line. No matter what it is and what you think it is and how big you think it is, none of it, none of it is bigger than the blood of Jesus. There's not one sin you can commit, not one thing you can do that is greater or bigger or or more powerful than the blood of Jesus. Listen. Please, friends, hear this. You are a new creation in Christ Jesus. Live like it. Walk with your head up. Live like it. Live like a redeemed child of the King. Live like a a woman of grace. Live like a, a man, a godly man. Live like it. Live like you've been redeemed because you have been redeemed. So I just want to close this morning's message with just a couple of reminders because each one of us can hear something today from this message. Number one, we have to recommit our lives to the one. If you are trusting another human being to fill your needs, you're going to fail, fail, fail. Jesus Christ is the only one that can satisfy the hunger in your soul, the thirst in your soul. He is the only one that can do it. We need to recommit our lives to the one. The second thing is this. If we are married, we need to recommit our lives to the two. To that person that God has given you. Sherry gave, uh, God gave me Sherry almost 43 years ago, and I'm thankful every day for her. Sometimes I irritate her and she irritates me, but it has nothing to do with our commitment and our decision to love each other. We need to recommit our hearts to the two. And the third thing I want to say in closing in this, if you have failed, if you have failed before you got married, if you have failed during your marriage, if you're failing now, receive the grace and mercy of God. You are a new creation. Live like it. Stand tall in the grace and the mercy of Jesus Christ. Jesus said it this way in Matthew 19. Humanly speaking, it is impossible. But with God, everything is possible. Would you bow your heads with me, please? Father, uh, this word is uh, for all of us. Um, So often we think that, well, that's not my, I'm not married or I'm, not this or I'm not that, but Father, this, these relationships that you have called us into 
are complicated and diverse and extraordinary and amazing and frustrating and everything else. And we just got to do this your way, Lord. And we, we can't do it your way unless we put you in the number one place in our lives. So, Father, we recommit to the one, Jesus Christ, the only one that can satisfy our soul. And Lord, for those of us who are married, we recommit to the two. That one that you have given us, that one that some of our teenagers one day God will give you, we recommit our lives to the two. And for those of us here this morning, Father, who need grace and mercy, a word of encouragement, a word of blessing, may they recognize that if any man or woman is in Christ Jesus, he or she is a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. That is a word from you, Father. May we receive it and believe it with all our hearts. We pray these things in the precious name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Amen.